Uh, we've been in a series uh, for several weeks now uh, talking about money and giving and wealth. And uh, today, I want to say that I am proud of you. Uh, you are getting it. There are, there's change happening. Uh, you are, and God is really helping you along your journey in regards to these topics. And I understand that it's not easy to sit week in and week out to talk about money or about giving or about wealth. These principles are challenging. They will change your life. And I just want to say, if you've missed any of the weeks because of vacation or, or whatever, get online, get the full effect. And I just believe that God will uh, do a great work in your life. And and one of the things we've been saying, we'll even say today, Lord, how are you challenging me in regards to these messages? And we want to be obedient to the Lord. I also want to say one thing. As I was preparing this morning, um, I really sensed in my spirit, as we talk about money and giving and wealth, um, that uh, I believe there's a word for the, of the Lord for someone um, to be faithful in little things. To be faithful in the little. And uh, that every penny counts is what the Lord kind of shared with me. It really took me back to a message I heard from Dr. Gordon Anderson several years ago about accountability. And I just want to say that uh, you may be doing a lot of great things, a lot of uh, even some large things, uh, giving-wise or sacrifice-wise, but sometimes it's the little things that, uh, that really make the difference. And I just want to say don't compromise on the little things. Every penny counts, all right? And so today, uh, we're going to focus on giving in particular, and I want to start in Romans chapter 12. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 12, um, I'd appreciate it. Romans 12, verses 6, 7, and 8, there's a list of seven spiritual gifts. Um, there, there's prophesying, there's serving, there's teaching, encouraging, and then there's the gift of giving, which we're going to talk about, uh, giving. There's a gift of leadership and then showing mercy. And uh, we understand as we look at these that these gifts are for the body. They are for us to be utilizing in our lives. And there's seven listed here, and I want to encourage you that we are all to be working in these areas as the Lord leads us. Now, some will excel naturally in some other than, or more than others. Um, I've shared some of my story next week as we fi uh, finish up this whole series. I'll share a little more of my testimony and Jessica's testimony um, in regards to gift giving or, or about being generous. We've learned a few things along the way. And uh, really, you, uh, this series has really been a picture of the best of me. And I've really enjoyed it. We look forward to wrapping it up next week. But when it comes to giving, there's a term that goes along with giving that really is linked to spiritual maturity. And that word is generosity. Everyone say generosity. generosity. What generosity means, it's showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. It's going above and beyond. It's going overboard. If you someone someone was uh, you know do ten dollars and you gave them twenty, that's going above and beyond what was necessary. It's generosity, and generous. When you look at that, it really describes the nature of our heavenly Father. It describes him. In creation, he was generous. In our, the way he protects us, he is generous. The provision that he provides for us is generous. How many would agree that the forgiveness that God allows us to experience is generous? 
It's more than what's necessary or what's expected. God is extravagant in his giving to us in these things. I want everyone to take a big breath and then breathe it out. Even in our breath, God is generous. And he's generous. He's slow to anger in lots of different ways. But he's generous, no doubt. God is a true giver. And the neat thing is that each of us were created in his likeness. We were created in his image. And we say that, we may understand that when we read Scripture, but it's not just theory. In real life, I believe that we are all designed to be givers, to be generous, to do more than what's necessary or expected. It is always making sense to be generous towards God in response to his generosity toward us. I'm convinced of that. And so my prayer today as we uh, talk about this is that the Lord would take us to a higher capacity of giving in our lives to a place of generosity. And with that, I want to start by asking a question, am I generous? If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down and then turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. Am I generous? I say, am I generous? Because I don't want you to leave here saying, are you generous? I want you to be saying to yourself, am I generous? Asking yourself this question. This is, a, this is a, found in John chapter 12. There's a story that I'm going to read here just quickly. It's in the city of Bethany. Uh, Jesus was a, uh, in his traveling ministry still at this point, and Jesus was invited over for dinner for a time of celebration. It's a family setting, very intimate. The disciples were there. And then something that emerges is a bottle of perfume uh, that is very expensive. Uh, 300 denarii, uh, in, which was a year's wage, was given. And uh, it's interesting that a denarius is a day's wage and 300 days of work would, if you minus all the festivals and the Sabbaths, uh, it's about a year's wage. And what's interesting is we can all relate to that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but listen to this story of, uh, of Mary uh, anointing Jesus at Bethany. This is what it says in John chapter 12. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Anyone else think that's weird? <coughs> I don't know. I just thought that was weird. At the house, uh, was filled, the fill, it was filled with a fragrance of perfume. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. So literally, he was the one collecting offerings as they were traveling in ministry, and then Judas would take from the offering from the money, and he would use it however he saw fit. No accountability. I mean, uh, crazy. Verse 7, Jesus said, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus defended her in that moment and said, Look, this is part of the plan. 
Now, in this story, there are, uh, there are two characters that I want to highlight. The first is Judas. And uh, we know that Judas is a problem for Jesus. Uh, we know that, be, but at that point, the disciples and those that were with, with them didn't realize what was going on. Uh, but he was the keeper of the money, of the offerings, and it describes in this passage that he was a thief. And it's important that, and not only was he a thief, but he did not care about the poor. And the question I had as I was studying this and, and trying to dive into this into this uh, story, is didn't Jesus know that, Jesus, that Judas was a thief? What do you think? How many, he would know, wouldn't he? He would have been aware of Judas' weakness. And I thought, man, how often does Jesus give us responsibility in the area of our weakness as a blessing to us for opportunities for us to grow and for him to test us? And clearly, Judas did not care about the poor. And uh, before you say, well, that's just Judas, he's just a bad guy, the idea there is seen in our everyday. I want to take you back just to last weekend, the 4th of July. Maybe you made it down to the water, and you saw maybe on the Grand River Channel uh, the boats coming in and out for the 4th of July weekend. Or maybe up in Muskegon somewhere, you see you're out there, and you're with your family, and all of a sudden, a huge yacht is floating down the river or floating out in the lake. How many have been there? And you're like, oh my goodness, what in the world does that guy do? How many have ever asked that question, right? You're like, what in the world? But there's an attitude that can creep in and it's subtle. But how many have heard or not, you don't even have to raise your hand, but maybe you've said this yourself as you're watching that yacht go by, say, man, they could sell that yacht or that boat and give it to the poor. How many have ever thought that? You don't know that. How many have ever heard that thought, right? That's what Judas is saying. And so don't be so hard on Judas, but you could do that with a car or a house or a boat. You fill in the blank. But that was Judas, and, and he's the first character. The second is Mary. She's from Bethany. It kind of describes who she is. She was spiritually receptive. And three different times in Scripture, she was found at the feet of Jesus, which is really, really amazing as I studied uh, her life a little bit this week. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, she was at Jesus' feet uh, learning and, uh, uh, for instruction. In John chapter 11, she was there for comfort uh, in, when uh, Lazarus died, and then also at Jesus' feet for serving and, in this incredible, awesome way in this story in John chapter 12. And um, the question I had about Mary is, what would cause her to give such an incredible, extravagant gift. A year's wage in a perfume. What would cause her to do that? Does anyone have an idea? It's because her brother, two months earlier, had died, was in the grave, Lazarus, and Jesus raised him from the dead. In fact, most people believe they were celebrating, and that's why people were coming uh, to their home to see Lazarus and to meet Jesus. And, uh, and so she was very grateful. And, but in the story, we see two hearts con contrasting as we kind of unfold this. Judas with a selfish heart, and then Mary with a generous heart. And it's interesting that it wasn't money that revealed their heart. It was their attitude about the money that really let us see a picture into their heart. 
And that's very true with us, that as we are living, there are times where we will be put to the fire, and when we are under pressure, that's when our true colors shine. And when it comes to this topic, are you going to be generous or selfish deep down? There are three insights we want to look at this morning as seen in John chapter 12. And the first is that there is an enemy to generosity. And we see this in the contrast between Mary and Judas. And the enemy of generosity is selfishness. And selfishness is not something that you have to learn, although it can certainly grow and get out of control. It's related to our sin nature. We were born that way. Now, that's not an excuse to be selfish, but it's true. We were born that way. Have you ever noticed kids? You don't have to teach them to say the four-letter word, mine, 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 right? And, uh, and it's interesting that even if a child is just growing in their vocabulary and maybe struggle with some words, when it comes to the word mine, they pronounce it correctly, they get it, and it's at that certain pitch that it can be annoying. How many know what I'm talking about? Mine, mine, mine. Yep, I know. I, we were there too one day. And unfortunately, some of us never grow out of that mentality. One pastor said this, that selfishness will protect itself, promote itself, and provide for itself before others. You say, well, okay. And the problem is, is that God is supposed to do those things for us. God is our protector. God is the one that promotes us. God is the one who is our provider. Amen? And so there's a stronghold of selfishness that Satan can use. It can start with kids. It can be with adults. It, but in, with adults, it just becomes more sophisticated. I want you to know. And it's not as easy to, to detect. And for Judas, in John chapter 12, he is operating under this stronghold when he says, look, why didn't you give this to the poor? That is a selfish statement. He's covering up his own motives. His old, it's the oldest excuse for selfishness. And again, don't just point your fingers at him. I want you to ask some questions about yourself this morning. Why would God put Judas in a position like this, knowing that he would fail? Um, I, I, I can just imagine as you read this, you may think, boy, uh, boy, you know, Jesus was just setting him up for failure. But I don't think that's the case. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says that Jesus will always provide a way out of temptation. And that's the case. Judas did not have to do uh, what he did. So the enemy of generosity is selfishness. That's number one. And last week I talked about my selfish behaviors over the years. If you, didn't, if you weren't here, get online, listen to that. The second insight is this in John 12, is that there is an extravagant nature to generosity. Whereas we're talking about generosity, there's an extravagance that's often tied with it. So I want you to think about your wage. So whether you make you know, $12,000 a year like my wife and I did our first year married, or maybe you make $30,000 or $50,000 or $100,000, or maybe you make a million dollars a year, whatever it is, okay? Or maybe you're a student here, you're like, I make $500 a year, or maybe I make nothing, okay? I don't know. But anyway, I want you to think about your wage, okay? You got it in your mind? For a year's wage, and then imagine going to the store and buying whatever that is, so let's say just $30,000, going to the store and buying a $30,000 bottle of perfume. Can you imagine that? And then to take that perfume and put it on someone's feet. That's kind of gross. But uh, anyway, 
I'm reading this, I'm studying this, and I'm saying that was one impressive act of generosity. How many would agree with me? That's pretty impressive to us, right? We're saying, man, that's incredible. But you know what? I realize as I study, it may not have impressed God the same way that it impresses us. In fact, if you ask the question, what gift could you give to God that would impress Him? You might think, I don't know, maybe a $10,000 gift or a $100,000 or a million dollars. If you gave a million dollars away, would that impress God? Or how about a billion or a hundred billion? At that point, you're saying maybe that will impress God. I don't know. But I want to remind you, don't forget, in God's house, the streets are paved with gold. And there's no potholes. And the walls, the foundations are created with diamonds. The gates are made out of pearls. The truth is there's nothing, there's no amount that would impress God from a financial standpoint. It is all God's. He owns it all anyway. But I do believe that you can give an extravagant gift. You could do something beyond yourself that, that would catch God's attention. We see that the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see that they excelled in their giving in a really hard time. And as it goes in verse 5, we see that, that something that into the picture of the Macedonian churches as they gave. They first gave to the Lord and then they blessed others around them. And I want to encourage you that this morning, in just a minute, we're going to respond and we're going to ask ourselves, are we willing to give ourselves fully to the Lord? Are we willing to sacrifice our lives and say, God, I am not my own, I am yours. Use me however you want me. But what I want to, what I want to remind you is that your wallet comes with you, all right? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. We've been studying that over the past several weeks. And so we can bring an extravagant gift. We bring ourselves to the Lord and then God can use that. Now, there are some pictures of extravagant giving in, in Scripture. I want to just highlight a couple. One is King David, as they're building the temple. Uh, just from his own reserves, uh, he brought an extravagant gift. Uh, in today's dollars, would equal $21 billion King David would have given for the temple construction. King Solomon followed in his, in his uh, dad's footsteps in 1 Kings chapter 3. He was an extravagant giver as well, and he was required at one time to bring a sacrifice, and the sacrifice required one bull, but he wanted to go above and beyond. He wanted to be generous and to be extravagant. He didn't just bring 10 or 50 or 100 or even 500 bulls. He brought 1,000 bulls and sacrificed them as an offering to the Lord. I can just imagine his advisors around saying, you know, you know, 10 is generous, you all right? That 50, that's good. But 1,000, seriously? And what's interesting about that, and you can look at it in 1 Kings chapter 3, I encourage you to read the story, is that Solomon, right after he did that, that's when God came to him and said, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. I think there's a correlation there. King Solomon, he gave his heart through his wallet, through the beasts of the field, through the bulls, a thousand. 
And then God said, look, whatever you want. And then, of course, he asked for wisdom, which is brilliant. But I want you to know that it's all about the heart. This whole series has been about our hearts, our hearts. And those are two huge gifts that were given, uh, but it's not always about the size of the gift. In the New Testament, there was a, a widow that brought two pennies, two mites to the Lord. She gave everything in the same right. It was extravagant. It was more than what was necessary. It was beyond what was expected. She gave it all. And extravagant generosity is just that way, giving at a high level where we give beyond what we need to. Now, how do we, uh, what, you know, how do we see this uh, fold out, uh, you know, um, played out in our lives? Uh, Robert Morris brought some insight. He said there's three levels of giving in our lives. There are three ways we can give. We can give tithes, we can give offerings, and then we can give extravagant offerings, or some people say painful offerings. And then when I look at that painful, it's where your first thought, when God puts a thought in your mind, you're thinking, uh, okay, there's some fear around this. Can I really accomplish this? And uh, I, I was saying first service, uh, many times when, we, when Jessica and I face uh, missions time for our faith promise, uh, sometimes the Lord will put something in our heart and we're saying, all right, there's a little fear. Like, can we even do this? And uh, it's awesome to see God work in some of those ways. But it all starts with a tithe, according to Robert Morrison, according to Scripture. And as we've been studying over the past several weeks, a small percentage of people actually give 10% or more to their local church undesignated. But the tithe is the key. Every person that gets to the first level will then get to the second level. And I think it's really important for you to understand this offerings come after that that's above and beyond and it, there's there's a way that what happens is that the curse is broken and now the lord is blessing and you're able to do more how many of you have ever been in a situation where you wanted to bless a missionary but you weren't able to or you wanted to uh, help a single mom out who was struggling you wanted to give in a certain circumstance but you were unable to or maybe you're at, at the gas station and you want to pump someone else's gas and pay for it or pay for someone's grocery in line. There's a family in our church that I know that when they go on vacation, they look for ways to bless other people and they get their kids involved. And it's a neat story. It's, it's kind of fun for them. You say, well, why would you do that? Well, it's, it's offerings. Those are all things above and beyond the tithe. And those are things that you can consistently see God work in once you're faithful in the tithe and you're faithful in the principles that God puts forward how to manage your money. But then there's a third level of giving, extravagant generosity. And only a few people get to this level of giving. But I do believe that at some point, God will ask you to give an extravagant gift in your life and maybe multiple times. Mary's example is great. You say, well, why did she give such an extravagant gift? It's really rooted with her brother being raised from the dead. She was grateful. And some of you are saying, well, you know, man, that's pretty extreme. Or maybe you're saying, you know, God didn't answer my prayer in the same way Mary's prayer was answered. But listen, we can all be grateful. We need to remember that we were all dead in our sins. But God died for us. 
And there's a gratefulness that comes with extravagant giving and then an obedience. And, uh, and I want to say this, that, that when God puts something in your heart to do beyond that may be extravagant in nature, I want you to, to really challenge yourself to understand that that is most likely the Lord. I mean, it certainly could be self, and I get that, but it's certainly not the enemy. The devil is nothing. He's the opposite of generosity. He's selfish in every way. He would not put thoughts of generosity or extravagant giving in your mind. And so as you're discerning what God's will is in those areas, I think that's an important key. Now, one more insight. There's a reward to generosity. And we see it in John 12. We also see it in Mark chapter 14. In Mark, Mark tra- chapter 14, uh, it's the same story, Jesus being anointed at Bethany. And uh, there's two key verses here. The, uh, number, verse 8 is that, is that Mary did what she could. And really, it's a beautiful picture. And then really, that's the key. God is not going to ask you to do something that's beyond your ability. He's not going to ask you to give a million dollars if you don't have a million dollars. He doesn't want you to go out and become Robin Hood and start stealing so you can you know, give. That's not the case. But also, I want you to see, is that she gave without expecting any reward. She gave just to honor Jesus. She didn't even know what she was doing. She was giving out of obedience. And there may be times that you'll give and you don't even understand fully what it's all about. But there was a reward for Mary. And we see it in verse, excuse me, in verse 9 is that she would be known for all generations. Let's read verses 8 and 9. It says, She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Which, by the way, is, was symbolic because uh, Jesus was on the cross. They hurried up. They hurried him to get him into the grave because the Passover was coming. And it was a big mess up and didn't have time to be anointed uh, with burial spices. And then verse 9, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, including the Gateway Church in July of 2015, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She got a great reward, but she didn't even realize it. And God rewarded Mary because God is a rewarder. It's his character to do so. I have my notes here that God cannot not reward. And I'm sorry if you don't like that. There's no avoiding it. It's the nature of God. So in Mary's case, she's filled with gratitude, which, by the way, was the opposite of Judas, which he was filled with self, and she gave with a pure heart. And our giving must always come back to the attitude of heart. If we're generous, we're giving with nothing expected back in return. But if there's selfishness, we're giving instead, saying, you know, I gave that, now God owes me something. And that's not the truth. When your heart is right, God will be a rewarder. That verse in in Scripture, it's actually four different Greek words come together to make that word rewarder. It's only found in Scripture one time. It means to give more than what is due, to go beyond, kind of that generous, generous rewarder. But God cannot reward if you give with the wrong motives. And, and you say, well, what types of rewards are you talking about? Well, the first that comes to mind in most of our minds is financial reward, right? 
blessings. But I want you to know that blessings in a financial way are not always guaranteed when you are generous. If the Lord called you to give away everything and to live on nothing, does that mean he's going to give it all back like he did Job or, or maybe other stories that you've heard? No, you could live in poverty the rest of your life. And that would, and that, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do that if God's calling you to do that. The reality is blessings come in a lot of different ways. In Genesis chapter 12, I was encouraged when Abraham was called to, to leave and to follow God. If the promise was not of great riches, the reward in that circumstance, you can read it, was God himself. And God, he will reward, he will affect every area of your life when you live a life of generosity in your life. That's why I've been saying this message series affects everything. And so this morning, I want you to come to, to face this idea that the Lord himself is available. His presence is there when we say, Lord, I'm giving you everything that I have. In just a moment, Pastor Bobby and Reagan are going to lead this song. It's really the story of the alabaster jar from John 12 and Mark 14. And I want us to listen to the words and that God would start preparing our hearts. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, in just a moment you're going to have an opportunity to respond and say yes to Jesus. And also, as we listen to this, I want you, for those that are struggling with selfishness at any level, I want you to consider your generous, your generous nature, uh, the nature of God at work in your life. That your generosity would be a response to God's generous nature to you. That your capacity for giving would increase as you ask the question, am I generous? So I'm going to ask that you stand. So this morning... This afternoon now, I want to ask the question, are you willing to give yourself fully to the Lord? And with a show of hands saying, boy, that's my heart. I want to be that type of person. I want just to see this morning, yeah, if that's your heart. I want you to take the model in John 12 and Mark 14 and, and Matthew of Mary Mary was found at Jesus' feet three different times in Scripture. And I think it's a humbling place to be at the feet of Jesus. And when we're at the feet of Jesus, whether that's at an altar or maybe you make your own altar where you are, you say, God, you can have all of me. I want to give it all to you. And just realize that out of that heart, I believe God, he will be a rewarder in those circumstances, he will flood your life with all kinds of goodness. And so this morning, we're going to continue to sing this, and I'm going to just challenge you to maybe come and find a spot at the altar. I know that we've gone a little longer today uh, because of some of the recognition early on, but don't leave here without making that commitment, saying, Lord, I want to give you everything. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, it's as easy as ABC. Admit you're a, a sinner. Believe in Jesus, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead. 
and confess with your mouth. And you don't have to do that in front of anybody, but right where you are, you come forward, you pray, admit, believe, confess, and God will save you. He will touch your life. He will change you from this moment forward. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and when uh, we continue to sing, I, I want to encourage you to just to respond here for the next moment, and then we'll have a final closing benediction prayer. Lord, take our hearts. We give them to you in these moments. Lord, we honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you respond with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, it's out of a grateful heart that we say thank you. We say thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, God, for your forgiveness. We thank you for provision, for protection. We thank you for directing our steps, for ordering our steps. We thank you for helping us in our deepest times of need. And out of that, Lord, you've been so gracious, you've been so generous, I pray that we would reflect that generosity onto others. As you lead us and guide us, God, I pray that we'd be faithful in our giving. And Lord, that it would take us to a place to give generously beyond what is expected, to, be, to give beyond what is necessary, to overflow in other people's lives, to be a light for you. God, I pray for each person here that as we leave, God, we would be instruments for you, mouthpieces, and we'd be great examples in these areas. We pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people all said together, amen.